and welcome to the Empowered Adoptee Podcast, where our goal and focus is to support the adoptee healing journey by providing tools that empower and sharing stories that inspire. So thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the adoptee identity and growing up in a transracial family. Hey, Claire, how's it going? Hey, Lori, I'm so glad to be here with you. Yes, me too. Let's do it. So we have a few questions to talk about and answer today. And would you like to go first, Claire? Sure, I'd love to. I'd love to. So yeah, I'm I'm just so excited about today's topic. This is something I feel like I could talk all the time about. <laughs> Adoptee identity and especially where I am right now in my journey, I feel like it's so important to talk about and to explore my identity. And just so one thing I wanted to touch on was just how important it is to recognize, although we, as a Korean adoptee, as adoptees, we have so many um, things that we have in common, common threads and commonality, and and we all have such unique experiences as well. So something that I'm going to be uh, really talking about is the intersectionality of all of our identities. So that is something that I would like you to talk about, Lori. And so I want to ask you, what are some challenges and opportunities that arise from being a transcultural adoptee? Well, gosh, where do I start? You know, first of all, I have put some thought into this question because previous to putting thoughts to it, I don't think I really thought anything about it because I was just adapting to life and circumstances. And yeah, when I really stopped to look at my life and different experiences, different challenges, and also opportunities, I would have to say that it's been really tough at times and a lot of it has been confusing. One of the stories that pops up when I think of that question is when I was a little kid, I remember going shopping for shoes with my my adopted mom and she would always tell me that I had fat feet because my feet were not, you know, narrow and skinny like her, you know, her feet. And so uh, she used to, you know, joke around and say, you know, I had fat little Flintstone feet. And I just accepted it like it was some kind of fact. Like, yep, that's me. I was born with fat little feet, you know. (laughs) And then I got a bit older and I was standing in a kitchen within a Korean family and there was literally three different generations of women standing in this kitchen. We were just standing there in a circle talking about probably food and uh, I looked down and I was like, oh my goodness, all of our feet looked the same. And I was like, I don't have fat feet. I have Korean feet. And you have Korean feet. I have Korean feet. So from, you know, little things or that could even become a big thing, you know, that could have been something bigger of like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me Mm -hmm. to recognizing that, you know, just because I might have not looked the way that my mom looked, Mm -hmm. it, it was kind of tough because 
I compared oftentimes daughters compare themselves to their mothers and I would compare myself to my mother and there are so many ways and areas that we did we were not the same and I one of the challenges that came from that was thinking that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't the same as my mother and I didn't really grow up having other Korean families around me um, so I couldn't really compare myself to someone that did look more like myself so I think that's the first thing that kind of comes up but I know that that subject can go deeper mm-hmm. oh my gosh so so, so many things came up for me while you were sharing your story and <laughs> thank you for being so vulnerable about it but the Flintstone feet I have them too <laughs> I wish I could just show you right now, like compare our feet because I've always had like a um, like a self consciousness about my feet and just how they were so square and everything. And people would actually make comments to me about it. And you know what my coping mechanism was, I guess, was to make some kind of like joke or fantasy story about it. So you know what I would tell people, I would say I'm from Korea and in Korea they bound my feet because somewhere I had heard that was a cultural oh, thing where they the women yeah. would bind their feet I don't know if it was Korean I have to go and fact check but and so that because very small feet was very I guess feminine and desired so I would tell people this story and go on and on and they would feel so bad for me <gasps> I'm so sorry so it was kind of like my way of putting the shame from me and putting it back on them <laughs> <laughs> Nice little shame reversal action. Right? <laughs> I'm awesome. like, enough with the shame. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah, thank um, you so much for sharing that story. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And how about you, Claire? What are some challenges and then also opportunities that are, arise from being from a transcultural, transracial adoptee and family? Right. So I, like you, I also identified as growing up, I really just identified with my white culture. I was raised with a, in a white family and, you know, everything from food to music. I mean, we had like, you know, baked potatoes and shake and bake chicken. That was what we, we grew up eating and not a lot of ethnic food until I got older. And then we would branch out and have maybe Chinese food or Thai food or Italian. But I also like the music. We listened to a lot of folk music and, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary. So I was really immersed in this white culture and I didn't know anything different. And so I really, truly identified as a white person until I saw myself in a mirror. I was Then I was like, oh my God, who is that? And I didn't have these racial mirrors for people to hold up and show me what it means to be Korean. And so one story I can remember when I was in college, I, and I went to college, and I was went from a very, very um, non-diverse community growing up in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and I went to college at University of Maryland, so there was a lot of diversity. I mean, there was so much, and I was just in heaven. I was like, all my friends I met were Asian, and I was just like experiencing all these like, you know, Korean clubs and so many good things, and so I had started a uh, dating uh, this guy, and he was um, from Chile, so he was much more knowledgeable about Korean culture than I was, just because he had grown up, I guess, in this area. So 
we he took me out to dinner to a Korean restaurant, and I had never been to eat Korean food before. So I walk in, I was so excited, and I walk in, and the first thing I felt when the waitresses greeted us in Korean, they saw me with my Korean face, and they greeted me in Korean, and I had no idea what they said. And I just looked at them and said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Korean. And then the shame, the shame, oh my God, what do you mean? They're, I could, they were going off in Korean. <laughs> but I could feel it, you know, the shame, the way they looked at me. And then we sat down, started eating, and, you know, he, my, my ex-boyfriend was ordering the food because I didn't know what it was, but so he would order it. And then the more shame is like, I don't even know what the foods are called. What are these dishes? And then I ordered... And of course, we got kimchi and rice. And I remember I had kimchi jjigae for the very first time. And I was like, just in tears. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing. So that was kind of like my first taste of Korean culture. And I was so just happy to finally, you know, be exposed to it and and meet it in a place where I wasn't shameful of it, even though the they've they did put their shame on me for not knowing it. Um, and that's something I think a lot of Korean adoptees do feel. I know I felt that, uh, I still feel that today. And it goes very deep. So that's just one example of how my identity kind of came to uh, evolve, I'd say. And so now I, I wouldn't say that I d identify completely as Korean because I feel like there is uh, still a boundary or a wall between myself and Korean-Korean people who are born and raised in Korea. And then there's the white people who I grew up with. And I'm kind of in between in the other space. And I know a lot of Korean adoptees have talked about this other, the gray space, the, the gray area. And I truly feel like I identify more with that, with that community, with our Korean adoptee community, because of our, our experiences are more similar. And so as an opportunity, I'd say that um, that came out of being a transcultural adoptee, I think the opportunity for me is just meeting myself where I'm at and realizing I'm not going to be fully Korean. I'm never going to be fully Korean because I was the way I was raised in the United States. I'm never going to be white. And I think that me um, just kind of like having that grace and having that, um, you know, respect for myself and my identity, it really helps me to kind of open myself up to exploring my identity because it's still evolving. I'm still figuring out who I am. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Claire. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that and I can totally understand and relate everything from the you know American food and growing up eating lots of chicken pot pie and pastries <laughs> and delicious you know meat and potato dishes and not really having Asian food until you got older and you know that was pre a pretty powerful experience of your first time eating Korean food as well because 
you know, you weren't exactly welcomed, but at the same time, you were like still so excited to be able to like have that experience. And I'm glad that you stayed to have that experience and to eat the food because there is something about eating the Korean food that almost makes me feel more Korean. I don't know if you feel、mm, that same way. A hundred percent, yes. Yeah, and once in a while, I'll even say to my partner, "We gotta eat Korean food tonight because if we don't, I'm I'm not gonna feel like I'm Korean anymore." <laughs> you know. <And> <laughs> I'm like half joking around. I'm like half not joking around. <laughs> and then you know I can also really relate with this whole gray area of not really being fully Korean and not being fully white. And it's almost like we are this this new identity. And you know people who grow up in spaces where they might not be one or the other. You become this third option, and for me, I think it's it makes it unique. It makes us unique. I truly believe that we're all special and we're all not special. You know, so we're all equally special or not. But yeah, there's something about that gray space of being able to connect with other adoptees that it's almost like they understand so many things that I'll never be able to explain to a Korean person. Or completely, you know, Caucasian person, or even to my family, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So you touched a little bit on some of your stories about growing up in a white family, but can you share more about how you felt growing up in a white family? I know、mm-hmm. you were in Pennsylvania, right? And You know, just maybe if you could touch on some of the、um, the, the emotions and maybe、uh, challenges and and things that you felt、yeah. as far as your identity.、Um, let's see here. Well, you know,、um, I was adopted by a Pennsylvania Dutch German family, more or less. They're not like Amish people, and they're not like people who actually speak German. They're descendants of, anyways, and they were definitely overall. Good people who, you know, wanted to adopt a little girl from Korea, and they chose me, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, there's not really a a book or a manual to prepare a young person or a child when they're adopted into a culture that is completely foreign to them. Growing up, I think I just really felt this feeling of. Having to adapt and having to almost like become like chameleon in a sense, and I think that stems from a place of of a fear of abandonment, of wanting to be kept, of wanting to be loved, and so I just became like really. I tried to become at least really helpful. I don't know if I was exactly or not, but I just tried to be helpful and. Be a quote unquote good girl, and you know, and there's a lot of challenges in that because I feel like when I look at other children when they're the ages that I was, you know, they seem so much more free.、Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, about them. But for me, when I was young and in my mind,、um, I was always kind of thinking about other people's needs and how I could help in them or. You know, support them to feel better, or and so it was a lot of like thinking about what my my family needed and how I could help. And it wasn't until I got older and into my young teens that 
I started developing more of a identity, you know, like a I noticing what my needs are and recognizing myself as a being that deserved to have their their needs met. And so, yeah, that's kind of part of the process I feel of coming into awareness of oneself and consciousness mm-hmm. of oneself. And when I came into more consciousness, I recognized that there were, you know, some qualities that were really amazing and beautiful and generous and kind of my family. And then I also recognized that some areas that I didn't really want to take on those, those, uh, you know, feelings and thoughts and continue to procreate them in, in my life. And uh, some of the things like the way that they would talk to each other, I felt like was really kind of harsh sometimes. And so that, you know, was the way that my inner voice talked to myself. And so I came to understanding that, oh, well, I don't actually have to talk to myself that way. I can connect to the way I want to be spoken to, things like that. And, um, and really coming to this level of uh, conscious awareness that I deserve to be loved and treated with kindness and respect I started growing my what I think it was my true identity instead of just the part of me that had to adapt for survival so I hope I answered your question in a nutshell I feel like that answer could just go on and on and on but how about you babe I want to hear about how it felt for you growing up uh, with your white family yeah, well, so I definitely resonate with a lot of what you said, and some of the, the themes and the patterns and behaviors were definitely me. Uh, yeah, I was always trying to adapt, and I think even before I had language, I was adapting because we, you know, we, we have this innate sense of being, and it's like we kind of know, we kind of know what to do in order to survive. It's a survival coping skill, I believe, and you know, you had mentioned being a chameleon, and I definitely was that. And so I think most of my earliest memories of growing up in a white family, I always felt so different. And I think that part of it was just a product of me being Asian or Korean in a white family. Some of it was also bullying by people, like, pointing out, uh, you know, the whole your eyes are slanty and then pulling back their eyes and you know why is your face so flat and uh just like the feet thing <laughs> you know that's for one and and things that were even not asian just anything that was different that made me stick out and i i definitely noticed that in everything and i was became very shameful of it and i wanted to hide it and hide who i was so there were definitely parts of me that i felt like i needed to hide from the world i needed to fit in it was like a survival thing and i think just going back to you know i guess our earliest days we were cavemen and had to survive and we had to find a tribe in order to survive so that kind of survival was in me i think so yeah growing up i hated who i was because i was so different and that was, I, I, a lot of it had to do with growing up in a white family and just sticking out so much. 
And part of it was, I think that, um, you know, and I don't fault my parents for doing this because I think it's a lot of adoptive families. They want to just love you so much and see you as one of their own for whatever their reasons are that they make you feel like they don't see you for being Korean. They don't see you for being an adoptee. They just want to you know, love you and take you in and treat them, uh, treat you as one of their own children, one of their own families. And I think it's very problematic when that happens. There's a show that I've been watching, and I'm sure a lot of people, uh, it's uh, This Is Us. And the, one of the characters is a black adoptee into a white family. And he, his dad was saying, there was a scene where his dad was saying, you know, I love you so much. I don't see your color. I just see you as my son. And Randall, he says, well, you know, if you don't see my color dad, then you don't see me. Wow. Because this is me. This is who I am. And it was so powerful. Of course, I bawled and I was like, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) So just shows like that really helps, even though I'm not him, like I have, we have different, you know, stories, but like, it just helps me to know that that's what I was feeling. And yeah. other people go through it, other children go through it, other adoptees, and it, I'm not alone. And so what I guess when I started to realize that I didn't want to fit in anymore and I wanted to you know, explore my identity, I feel like it was a process. You know, I, th- I don't think that it was really like consciously me doing it, uh, but I think that part of me was just trying to get back to like kind of like you said my true identity and what I have been doing is exploring my identity just really intentionally sitting down and thinking about like who am I like what is the impact of adoption what is the impact of being a transcultural transracial adoptee on me who I am and how I think of myself one of the modalities that I have been experiencing and, and practicing is the somatic breath work so what this has really helped me to do is to, through the breath work, it's just clearing out all of the stories, all of the repressed and suppressed emotions and the, the trauma of relinquishment, all of that that stays stuck in my body. I am able to kind of clear that out so then I am peeling back the layers, kind of like the layers and the expectations and everything that the world has told me I need to be and who I need to be in order to survive, adapt, and be acceptable, and, and and be liked, and all of those things. Who was I before the world started to tell me who I should be? Boom, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that I get so much clarity about. It's like, who was I? You had mentioned like you just want to do kid things, and and you know how to bring some of that back because I was. You know, I was before kids start to feel like that shame, that developmental stages that we go through as children. uh, And you just like you like little kids. Why is it like a little three year old boy can go and like, you know, whip it out and pee on the playground and does not care who's watching. Right. He just is like, I'm free in my body. Mm -hmm. I can be naked. And there's no shame in their game. <laughs> but if a 38-year-old man were to go and do that, like, he would be arrested, you know? Totally. <laughs> so there's, um, you know, how can you get back to who you are truly as... I go back to my child self, you know, and just, like, who was I? What did I enjoy doing? What brought me joy? And how did I, um, like, express myself? I, I love music. I love dancing. I love playing. And 
as adults, sometimes we find it hard to really express those parts of us. So I think things like, um, you know, like dancing is a great one. And so uh, just trying to give back to who I am and who I, I, I believe that I am as a person, even though I have all these other um, identities and the um, intersectionality of the different identities, you know, as a Korean, as an adoptee, as a, you know, growing up in a white family, as growing up in a Catholic church, and, you know, growing up in an upper white middle class society. You know, all these things are very unique to me, and it makes me who I am, but how can I get, strip all of that away and get down to who I really truly am? So that was kind of like my, I rambled a little bit, but that's how I felt growing up in a white family and the impact it had on me and, and kind of how I'm able to heal from the traumas. I mean, it was traumatizing growing up in a white family. I'm not going to lie. It was. And so I'm still trying to heal from that. I hear you, babe. Thank you for your vulnerability and your share. And I can really um, relate with how finding different ways to be able to release those layers of the personality and the parts of you that had to learn how to adapt, how to survive and shed all those expectations away, you know, what's left. Like who were we before all of those layers were taken on? Mm -hmm. And I definitely connect with our inner child and our child self and being able to do things that allow for that child self to be ecstatic and free and to be playful and I kind of think of it as you know when I was younger I think I was way more serious and more try to be like an adult and as I've gotten older and older I find myself getting more childlike not like childish but just more childlike and being Mm -hmm. able to have moments of feeling really free and playful and being able to see the beauty of the nature and the world around us and beauty in the people and cultures and and yeah i i definitely can remember times where connecting to different healing and even in this one practice that's helped me a lot is um, just letting myself lay down and just breathing into my body and giving myself full and complete permission to allow everything go like allowing my physical body to relax and allowing any and every thought to relax and that I don't actually have to hold on to anything and you know that permission to fully let go and then when I you know, come back into like consciousness and, you know, walking around or whatever and just letting myself pick up the things that feel good and natural to me instead of the boatloads of whatever, you know? And so, and just like letting myself take moments to go slow and be gentle and be kind has really been helpful too. Thank you for sharing. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Oh my gosh. Wow. So much, Jesus said, like getting back to our childlike self. <laughs> and it's just so funny how like we evolve through our lives and all the expectations, you know, through your career and your family and um, your whole identity creation. It's like, like just getting back to who you really truly want to be. And I love that. 
And I think it's so freeing. It's really freeing. So I want to maybe just pivot a little bit and talk about growing up in a white family, in a white community. Uh, I know that there were there was a lot of uh, dealing with stereotypes, racism, prejudice, oppression. I mean, all of it, right? And so tell me a time when you felt stereotyped <laughs> and how did you cope with it? Gosh, you know, it's horrible to say that there are like so many stories that come up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, well, which one feels mo- most important to share right now, you know, or maybe even which one makes me laugh <laughs> the most? Because <laughs> that's definitely my way of coping to being stereotyped, to racism, is laughter. Because I personally, I've never really understood you know, racism in the sense of feeling racist about something or someone, like, I just, in my being, I feel like this real, like, connection to, like, the oneness within all of us that connects us all, and that, you know, I remember my mom used to say to Mm -hmm. me when I was younger that we're all the same color on the inside, and, but when she said that, however, I knew that other people were different colors on the outside, but I personally didn't realize I was a different color on the outside, yet (laughs) so when I would get stereotyped or experience uh, racism I think the story that I'm gonna share is um, so let's see here back in uh, I want to say like around 2010 my friends they were moving from from Maryland all the way down to Florida and so they asked me hey you know could you help us you know like moving van and cars multiple cars and cats and things like that and so it was just her and her husband at the time and I love to help out so I can just be able to spend quality time with y'all and we're driving down and by this time we're in Georgia and we've been on the road for a while and I go into a gas station and it's early in the morning so me early in the morning and you know I'm just kind of moving kind of slow and I'm not talking very much and I just say to the the cashier I say to her $40 on pump four please good morning you know just just like that completely what I think in my mind is normal <laughs> and she looks at me and she was this young um, black woman and she looks at me and says mm-hmm. you ain't got an accent and I just was like huh and I said I can't if you want me to and she said <laughs> no a Chinese accent and let me just say that like this person had like they weren't oh like racist at me there there was no ill will there was no meanness or, uh, oh, whatsoever no. but it was like a true stereotype i was like what's what's a chinese accent sound like and she goes she does the thing where you take your fingers and put them at the corner of your eyes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. makes them all slanty and she's like you know you got the ass for it and by this time <laughs> i am just cracking up laughing and I look behind me and there's a line full of people who are in absolute shock and almost like they're wondering like am I allowed to laugh too or should I not and by that point I just said thank you so much and I just walked out and such a funny experience for me and I think for me it is funny because 
I approach those kind of experiences with humor. And I feel like humor um, has been a way for me to be able to have understanding and compassion for for stereotyping and mm-hmm. and uh, to go deeper into it it might there might even be pieces of me connecting with humor because it's easier than connecting with anger or frustration but when it doesn't come from a place mm-hmm. Uh, when being stereotyped doesn't come from a place of ill will and comes from a place of like, you know, learning or investigation or growth, you know, I think I'm more open to the humor, but I can think of some other instances where I was stereotyped and it did bring up a little bit more fire Mm. within me because it did come from a place of more ignorance than curiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we all have our ways of coping with it. And I think, um, you know, when you see growth and and you're able to respond to it and, like, really kind of bring it up and say, hmm, that didn't really feel good. And right. Yet, why did I laugh? And what, what, was, what was that about? And, you know, kind of to dig deeper and to see your response to it and say, wow, Was I really trying to hide or, like you said, like not connect with the anger as much? So that's something that I have been, um, yeah, in the past I can definitely relate. I was always the one, the first one to make the joke when I knew everyone felt it. It was like the elephant in the room. Everyone felt it. It was racist. it It was uncomfortable. And then I would break out the joke just to make everyone feel more comfortable, which is the way I cope with um with my own experiences um i i can recall i mean i had so many of those experiences like you growing up but one more recent one sticks out of my mind i was visiting uh, new york city and i was my mom lives in new york city and um she invited me to go to a um a concert in the park or it was it was a shakespeare play in the park and so we were going to go with my uncle and my aunt and my mom and we all like my uncle got tickets for all of us and we met up there and then he had the tickets and we were going in and it was very crowded so i remember he handed the tickets to the ticket person and said this is for all five of us or however many were there and so this is my my mom her family so they're all white and i don't know i think they look alike but you could probably tell so we went in and we all kind of went in, gave the tickets to the lady and everyone filed in. And then I was right after my mom, I walked in and she stopped me and she said, can I see your ticket? And I was just like, I didn't think, I was like, what do you mean? Like, he just gave them to you. These are the, t- he, he said, these are for the our five, our group of five. And then it hit me. Oh, she didn't realize that I was with them because I didn't look like them. And not, not only that, but I think had I kind of looked like them, she probably would have let me in and be like, yeah, come on in. But she was questioning because I was clearly not like them. And I don't think it came from a place of being racist against Asians. Because as soon as she did it and I said, oh, that's my mom and my uncle, I'm with them, she got so very embarrassed and she was very ashamed she said I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and 
so that was, I, I didn't have anger towards her. And it's interesting, I felt the anger towards my mom because afterwards, I didn't mention it. After the show, I, we were talking and I mentioned it. I brought it up. I said, remember that time? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. And then I waited for her to respond to it. And she had no comments or anything. And I wanted her to, first of all, acknowledge that it happened and that it was wrong. I, I really wanted her to be like, that's fucked up. And they should have just realized that you were, and I should have said something. Like, she's my daughter. She is with me. And she has a ticket. And stand up for me. And I wanted that so badly. And I wanted her to acknowledge that it was a form of a microaggression. It was something that was not right and it needs to stop happening. And there was no, um, you know, responsibility for that. So the reaction for me was worse than the actual incident. And so that's something that I need to work through. It's like, well, <laughs> how do I manage that? And, you know, so I have learn to let go of some of the anger from that. But still, I think it's just a kind of, it tells me that the struggle with being stereotyped and the microaggressions is still does not go away as we get older. And even in today's society where it feel like I, I'm with you, I think everyone should just, we're all one people. <laughs> we should, we should, you know, be loving and kind towards each other. And it's still so divided. And there is still so much of that going on, and I want to correct it. I want to make it right, but what can we can't control other people? So I, you know, that that's something that I need to deal with um, and work through it. But yeah, that's the one that sticks out in my mind, and I think um, thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, thank you for sharing, and it's it's kind of. <laughs> It's kind of strange how when I'm listening to you share this, and it's actually bringing up more stories that I totally mm. forgot about. And I'm like, mm. whoa, this is deeper than than I realize. And I love being able to take these moments and these opportunities to be able to have these conversations. Because for me personally, I feel like when we talk about these subjects, you know, we allow for um, more greater understanding and realization uh, awareness and for these subjects to be able to come up to potentially even get the compassion and understanding to be cleared and turn into a new level of um, possibilities you know for instance when you mentioned about you were mm -hmm. saying you know, like you know you have to work through this and i could feel like a little bit of the anger there and especially when for when your mom didn't stick up for you. And then I can feel like we could take all the different pieces of anger that we have kind of repressed and put aside and be able to like have the opportunity to really feel them so we could really release them and bring our greater compassion to those spaces to help us know that we don't have to hold on to those things because mm -hmm. I will the mm -hmm. other thing I want to say too is that I know I feel like um, different kinds of emotions are like action emotions like for instance anger I feel is a emotion that evokes action in us if my anger could be able to express itself in a positive way around this subject what would that be what do you think that would be for yourself 
your anger could express itself in a positive way. Yeah. Well, thank you for for bringing that up because I was I wanted to address it and say, you know, I'm working through this, but like I know that there are some things that we can do that I can personally do to like you said, connect with the anger and work through it. And so, um I always know that like any kind of movement of my body um you know it helps to release the stuck emotions so uh i know we talked about this and i had i was going to go with you um to a static dance and that's something that i am drawn towards as a any kind of movement dance even just working out just like body movements yoga um some i am able to connect with my body and really connect with that cuz otherwise it lives in my head and that's totally. not a good place to be mm-hmm. when it just lives in my head and then we make up more and more stories and you know I'm like so I don't even want to go there so when I'm able to connect with my body and la- allow myself to process those emotions through my body and just let it kind of flow through me and doing dance or yoga or breath work um you know tapping all of those things it helps us to mm-hmm. do that in some sort of way. So that would be my, my, you know, my go-to, how I'm going to deal with it and to really sit in a healthy way rather than exploding all over someone it's at the, at the Starbucks counter <laughs> when they get my order wrong. Like I'm not that person, but I'm just saying that I, I tend to, um, it would probably be more in the scenario of like, you know, me getting hungry and then I get hangry and then all the anger comes out. So I, I don't want to be that person. Totally. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Claire. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything that you would like to share? Let's see here. I could share more in the areas of where I've been stereotyped in, um, in a negative way. But there's also, I feel like there's times where I've been stereotyped in, in a positive way too. I'm going to share this quick experience where growing up I didn't really grow up where people would kind of catcall or like interact people would interact with each other but you know growing up in the Bay Area I mean later on living in the Bay Area I would experience people like interacting with each other more and I had this man say to me in in the most very uh, flattering kind of way He said, girl, you're like a bucket of chicken. And, and I was just like, huh? And he was like, you got the thighs, you got the legs, you got the breasts. And I was like, what? (laughs) You are. (laughs) Like, I'm like a bucket of chicken. And I think for him, it was, you know, kind of like surprising to see an an Asian woman who had this bucketed chicken kind of kind of look to her I guess <laughs> and for me it was this compliment in that moment of being stereotyped in that moment as like this beautiful woman and I came in the package of this Asian looking person <laughs> and yeah and so I think that's my last story to share on that note <laughs> 
was kind of embarrassing oh to share that story. Girl, you're a, oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so wow. much, Claire. And we just want to thank everyone for listening in to our podcast. And I hope that you might have heard some stories or had moments where you were inspired to feel a little deeper and open up to yeah, possibilities of laughter, humor, and growth in talking about these subjects. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lori. And I'm looking forward to our next podcast episode. Take care and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Claire. Peace and blessings. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Empowered Adoptee Podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you more next week. Thank you.